Welcome back to The Blend. My name is Steve Benz, broadcasting live from Chicago. We like to call the studio the Love Lounge. On the telephone, we've got bassist, former guitarist. He's done so many, so many different things. We've got Mike Skills from The Romantics on the telephone. Mike, welcome aboard. Hey, Steve. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing pretty good. I heard that you just touched on. You've got a show tomorrow night with Loverboy and Rick Springfield. How excited are you? Um, I'll tell you what. Um, I didn't know what these shows were going to be like. and uh, <laughs> you just, What did you do? You just show up? Is that what happens to be a rock star? <laughs> well, you know what? Um, you, you don't know what's going to happen, but we they've been pretty much selling out everywhere we've been, and we've done about uh, a week and a half of shows here. Two weeks shows, two weeks of shows, and they've been rolling really good. So we're going out for another couple, three weeks um, now, and we're stopping here at the Northerly, the Northerly Ireland Island. And um, yeah, I started out. I was a bass player out of high school. I learned guitar first, and then when I started this band, there was no guitar players that wanted to play straight ahead, raw rock and roll like the Stooges, MC5, New York Dolls, Lou Reed, and all that, and Rolling Stones and Kinks, and. Uh, so I fit the bill. I started writing songs and uh, started on guitar, then um, left for a year and came back on bass, and now I'm back on guitar. Wait a second. So you left to be your own solo star? Is that what happened? No, no, no. We had some creative differences, and I was out for about a year and a half. Uh, it was just uh, we crowded two records in between, uh, too close to each other, and everybody was, like, frazzled from it. We had to write a whole... The second record we wrote, like, in, in months, whereas the first record, we, it took us, you know, three years. You know, over three years collecting songs. Right, so that's pretty typical of the 80s. They just kind of ram that follow-up. Every band has their, their... The sophomore one is always really tough to get out. Well, what was really cool, we were with an independent label uh, with Nat Weiss on Emperor Records, and, you know, certain certain labels, certain uh, presidents of labels would, would um, groom groom bands, you know, it, it was... It was a seven-record thing, and uh, so you'd start out, you'd put together a really good record, and you'd build on it. And so uh, what happens when it started dropping a little off the charts, they said, get back in the studio, you know? And we weren't going to say no, so we did. And uh, <laughs> the problem was we were playing the second record, the, the songs from the second record, and people were still get, learning the first records after <laughs> after we put out the second record. <laughs> it's crazy. So, But what I like about you started taking off, so... What do you what do you know? You don't know, you know. I think you're a genius at this, but sometimes things just happen the way they happen. Look, we're still geniuses all these years later, okay? <laughs> I think yep, we still are. I don't care what everybody says, I'm a pure genius now. At rock and roll. Right. You know, so I just go up there and you know, I just play some music, I trip on stage and stuff. And I just introduce bands like you. Life could not be easier for me. Yeah. We played here a lot, man. We played mothers, we play everywhere. Yeah everywhere here. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember seeing you at Mother's, so, and, and uh, I got to remember the the, the hair, I don't think you'd call it a pompadour, that's an Elvis term, but you guys had some big hair back then. Well, when we first started, I was really short, and then as we got into bigger um, theaters and stadiums, we were playing with Cheap Trick and the Kinks and all that, you had to make your look bigger, you had to, everything, you had to be more... <laughs> Because you're on the, that little stage, in, or the, the arena stage, and it's a big, you know, coliseum. And um, 
you have to make everything more flamboyant. Right. So you used your hair to be big around stage. That is classic. <laughs> That's my excuse. <laughs> that is freaking classic. That's right. I completely forgot that you guys open up for the Kinks. Kinks, one of the greatest shows I ever saw in my life. You guys opened for them. It was, oh, it was at a college town. Um, I think it was in DeKalb that you guys opened for uh, the Kinks. And yeah, you guys did have pretty big, tremendous hair. You did. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. We 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 made the, the suits more wilder. We had, we had black snakeskin, I think, or something. Yeah. The hair got bigger and more. Some guys used hairspray. I didn't, but mine was just <laughs> bouffant, whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't have to pull out the Aquanet? You were just naturally big hair? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, so let's go way back. Let's go way back in time when you guys started the band. What was that moment when, or your writing partner with Wally or whomever, that you said, "Hey, let's put together a band"? How old were you? That's ex- well, um, I was about oh man, I think about twenty, mm-hmm. maybe eighteen, twenty, twenty something, about twenty. And um, the 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 punk thing had happened. The, the MC Five and the Stooges all left Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, some fell apart. Five fell apart. Seeger was still going on. Um, Grand Funk was no more. Um, SRC was no more. The New York Dolls had broke up, but we were following New York, the New York scene, the New York Lou Reed and all that. David Boy at Max's Kansas City, and um, we were kind of we were getting hip to that. Patty Smith, mm-hmm. and then things started to happen over in England. Um, the punk scene started happening, right? With uh, with all the with the with uh, Sex Pistols right. and the Clash and, yep. and the Jam. When I saw the Jam. Back in Detroit, so I, I that just connected with me. That and um, the Flaming Groovies went over to England to record their um, "Shake Some Action" record, right? And Dave Edmonds uh, produced it. And when I heard that and saw that, I saw the Jam's picture in Musical Express. I go, I went over to the drummer's house. I, I go, Jimmy, this is we can do this. This is what we should do. So then, me and him, I, I told him I, I'll give Wally a call. I met him a couple of years before and he was playing in a, like a fifties band with two girls singing backup and saxophone. And he was playing a high school. And I went over to this high school and I, I couldn't get in, but I looked up over the window. I climbed a wall and looked up the window and I see this guy playing, leading this band. And I, I go, man, he looks pretty good up there. So I told Jimmy, we called him up. We got a rehearsal together. And, and by the end of the year, we had a, our first thing was we wanted to have a 45. We wanted to have 45 out and go to New York and, play the club so mm-hmm. yeah that's and, what and for anybody that's listening if you don't know what a 45 is google it because i'm not going to explain it <laughs> it's a piece of vinyl that's small round and small right and it doesn't fit in your cd drum uh cd rom drive okay? <laughs> and don't put it in the back back of your car window <laughs> back seat of your car in the summer so okay so you guys are together you're playing for for months on you know practicing whatever do you remember where your first gig was yeah the first gig was um the MC5 had reformed with a friend of mine uh, who I played in a band with. And they came over, and they, ca- they came over to look at us. They said, we're doing a show. You guys want to open. So they came, checked us out. They said they'd get back to us. And they called us, told us, yeah, you can do the show. So they had all these radio people and record people coming. And this was our first show. And we were going to have a 45 in a few weeks. And we were writing all originals and a few covers. Uh, Kings covers and uh, Rolling Stones last time and all that, mm-hmm. and we went in there. We we rehearsed and we ended up we wanted to wear something. We didn't know what to wear. We were wearing like you know fifties and sixties uh, kind of shark skin kind of stuff, skin tight pants and all that. But we wanted something to stand out, so we were walking around the city outside of Detroit, Royal Oak, mm-hmm. 
and there was a Salvation Army, and um, me and Jimmy walked by, and we saw these suits were in the window, and there was four or five or six of them, four or five of them, and they were orange gabardine. They were like, I mean, orange uh, shark skin. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we grabbed four of them, the smallest ones we could, because we were really, really, really skinny back then, and uh, and we took them out, uh, had them had him tailored by uh, some Ukrainian relative of Wally's. And um, we did this show, and they went nuts because the show was really tight and original music. We were, like, running around that stage just like all the punks were doing. Right. It was great. And um, we ended up getting asked back, and we opened for Make DeVille the next week or two weeks later. Then we got offered, um, about a month later, we offered a gig at uh, the Sopanic Silverdome with Jay Giles, Peter Frampton and Steve Miller. We opened that show. So everything just like took off, started taking off. It just kind of happened. Steve Miller? You opened up for Steve Miller after just a couple of gigs? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was monstrous at that time. He had just come out with, uh, what is it, uh, Rockin' Me? Was that the uh, album, Rock Me? Was it Eagle Fly Like an Eagle or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like 77, wasn't it? That was like 76, 77. 77. God, I remember my, my sisters just played that to death. And then you guys, uh, my God, did you play here with uh, with them? Uh, did you go on tour at all in Chicago in 77? Were you here then? Um, Do you remember? Is it all a blur? At that point, we, not at, at that point. At that point, we were in a, a van and a car. We drive to uh, Cleveland, Boston, New York, mm-hmm. Toronto, Chicago, and Pittsburgh, all that. We do all the little clubs. We'd... Uh, we played the Rat Skeller in Boston. We played a club called David's in Toronto. We played Gaspers here, yeah. Gaspers yeah. and Mothers, and another place, uh, Biddy. Uh, I don't know, maybe not Billy Mothers. Yeah, a lot of those are not around anymore. You know, Mothers is. I completely forgot you guys were a, a Detroit band. I, I for some reason that kind of disappeared from my brain. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you know what? We paid a lot of attention to detail. We. I mean, a lot of bands, you know, we're playing these long songs. We want to play shorter songs. A lot of the young, new young groups are playing, you know, a lot shorter songs with more more singable melodies, and uh, and they rocked, and a lot of rocks. You know, like Real Kids out of Boston, the Ramones were playing short songs. Their set was 20 minutes. Right. The Ramones would come on and, and play 20 minutes and get off, no encores. And um, we played uh, CBGB's. We, we played there. We went there. We drove all the way to CBGB's for equipment, and we pulled up, and it was in July of '77, and the the blackout happened. Yeah, we're ready. We're supposed to play that weekend, and the blackout happened. So we knew we were doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're causing all kinds of havoc. <laughs> you know. See, those are the memories to have. Those. I mean, that was. We get, that's it. That you know, to have be able to tell stories like that. You should. You guys should put together a book or something, or or if, well, like a movie or something. We've thought about. I'm, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, just the underground and the things. I mean, I can hear the Kinks influence in your music even now, uh, thirty years later. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and the thing about it is, my favorite one of my favorite songs from the beginning was Louie Louie. Yep. And I'm reading this yep. article, and it's um. Someone's talking about it was a, it was a manager of the Kinks. They were an in, instrumental band of like sixty two or three. They didn't have any no vocals, and um, the the manager uh, recognized that Ray Davies was would be really good because mm-hmm. he was good with stories. He could do stories, yep. so he told him you write write songs and write you write your stories. And they told and he loved Louie Louie from the from from um, 
the Kingsman, mm-hmm. Portland, Oregon, from Portland, Oregon. And he loved that song, that garagey American sound. sound. He told them to write a song along the lines of uh, Louie Louie. And they came up with uh, You Really Got Me. Yeah. And here, the next generation thought Van Halen wrote that song. Yeah. It's a little different because the, who talks about Keith Richard talks about it. He talks about bands that play now. They, they're real. The beat is marchy. And, mm-hmm. and all those bands from the 60s and 50s and 60s were, weren't marchy. It was, it was um, rhythmic. It, had, uh, um, it, it bounced. There was uh, syncopation to it. Yep. You know, as, for, as opposed as, as amps got louder, as the amps get bigger and louder, you can't play the rhythm the same way. If, if you're playing a loud metal guitar, you can't play the rhythm the same way you can on a, a, a Vox, a Vox amp, or a uh-huh. Fender. It has more rhythm to it. So a lot of those songs, that's that's what it was all about. So what's it like being on tour now, you know, versus 30 years back? Is there a big difference on, on what you guys do or how you prepare? Um, no, uh, being, being on, the, on this show uh, with uh, Loverboy and Rick Springfield, we uh, they've got their buses. We just fly. We fly in each show. We fly. We'll fly in. It's cheaper for us to fly in instead of have a crew and a bus right. and all that. We just jump on a plane and go. And uh, it's just press, preference and, and you save some money. But but it's pretty much the same. Yeah. We've got 40 minutes to go on and kick some ass. Yeah, but you guys have you guys are like a well-oiled machine. You don't have to sit there and go, hey, let's do the changes here or, or what have you. You guys already pretty much know what you're going to do night by night. Yeah, well, we yeah, we've never stopped. We've never stopped playing. So we still have that that grease and we still have that rawness to it. And, and also I have to tell you, the little secret is that Detroit always feel like you're a downtrodden outsider. And this thing comes out of you when you're playing and it makes you, it's almost like you're saying, I'll show you that kind of thing that comes in, that hits your from deep inside and you just, it gives you some, some added, um, balls, (laughs) you know, it just, it just really, kicks it in yeah plus it gives you some rock soul if for lack of a better term and hit their in- detroit bands hit their instruments a little differently they, i think it's because the noise of the factories the noise of the city back in the day and um picking it up from the stooges and all that yeah. uh, bob seeger everything even uh, even if you go into like the twist by um what's the guy uh i can't think of his name right now the guy that wrote the twist hank ballard yeah i mean that's got a groove but it's yeah. raw i mean it was so raw they couldn't play it. They had to give it to Chubby Checker. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it, it fit the times and stuff. Now, would you guys ever sit down and just do an acoustic set, just strip it all the way down? Uh, probably not. But you know what? I would. I don't know. I, don't, I shouldn't say that, but um, it's it, you know it'd be really cool. Just like backstage, do some songs on mm-hmm. acoustic and then put them online. That that's something like that. See, that would be kind of cool. I just to kind of see it stripped down for a bit. I do it for a benefit or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why not? I think that would be kind of cool to hear the difference or how you guys would produce it versus the typical sound that you have. I mean, if you if you kind of strip different layers off your music, it's like a train. If you listen to the background and stuff, it's like a train. Right. I love that. That that's the Detroit sound that I know. That's right. You got it. it's it's that groove that that backbeat that backbeat and then the guitars filling in all the spots. The thing with acoustics would be it's. It's uh, it's more work than you think. Yeah, playing you got to be more precise, a little bit more precise. <laughs> and we know rock and roll, you don't have to be precise. You're just playing. 
just raw power. Yeah, exactly. But our songs are so rhythmic anyway, the acoustic will just add that much more flavor. It'll add much, that much more syncopation. That means bounce of notes, bounce, mm-hmm. of, bounce of the rhythm, mm-hmm. you know, syncopated. All right, so you guys kind of explode with MTV, okay? You guys are freaking yeah. everywhere with what I like about you. Did you know that was going to be a hit? Not at all. Not at all. We, we wrote it. In, in fact, we wrote it. I came over to rehearsal one of the first times I got to, we've been together for probably a year already, year and a half. And the first time I got to rehearsal on time, <laughs> I didn't have a car. My mom drove me to rehearsal, I remember, and uh, dropped me off. And I got there and the drummer was there, Jimmy was there. And, and I look back at this now, it's the only time I came in early and sat with, and actually we just broke out the, you know, he sat on the drums, I banged on the guitar, I go, I got this idea from today, early in my backyard, I was playing on an acoustic guitar, and um, so I played him that, that, lit, that, those chords, and he, his beat, I can always write stuff to his beat, mm-hmm. and uh, um, that came up, that we, we pulled together, it was a verse, we had like a verse, a whole, but not, not lyrically, but the groove, the groove was there right away, instantly, and then Wally and Rich, they were, getting a burger or something i don't know they came they came later and i think we went and got a burger came back and we tried the song again and we just kept messing with it and it wasn't until really like we went to studio in 80 that jimmy actually uh solidified the lyrics he was mm-hmm. still kind of jamming mm-hmm. with it it was it was still like the, the 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 verse was like on the opposite side of the beat it wasn't it wasn't the way it is now um he would sing it later. The verse would come in later, and it had a bass solo in the middle of it, and um, like a, before the harp came in. Mm-hmm. But um, the groove was there. So we were playing it in um, we were playing it in clubs, bookies in Detroit, and he was making up lyrics as he went along. But I came up with the uh huh because I was thinking in terms of something like the Yardbirds, hey, yeah. you know, um, you know, yeah. over under sideways down. The, the the Yardbird song, yeah. hey, hey, and uh, Mitch Ryder had a song, um, Little Latin Loopy Lou, and had Haze in it. And then um, Chuck Berry had, um, I'm so glad I'm living in the USA. Uh-huh, whoa, yeah. So I was thinking, uh-huh. So I got kind of picked that, kind of groove up from that, back up, you know. Uh-huh. It's an old backup from Rhythm and Blues. Right. Right. Sorry from them. But um, um, anyway, that's where it came about. We kept playing it and we recorded it. We went to a little studio in Florida, we got signed, and after three years of hitting the road, and um, we couldn't get into Criteria Studios, which is a famous uh, Allman Brothers, Aretha Franklin, James Brown, uh, BG studio. We couldn't get in there on the first album, so we went to Con- uh, Coconut Studios about 10 blocks away. And it's perfect. Us coconuts in there in that studio, coconuts. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we were having a good time. And uh, and we got in there and we did uh, we did eleven or twelve songs. We did pre-production with a producer, uh, Pete Solly, who was once in. He was a keyboard player, and he was living in Australia, and he was doing commercials, uh, writing so- commercials, uh, songs for commercials. Uh, producing songs for com- commercials. And um, he's from London, and um, he played with Proco Harum, the la- one of the last versions of Proco Harum back in the day. Oh and he played with um, Terry Reed, keyboards on Terry Reed. 
and Soft Machine, I think he played with. But uh, anyway, so he had keyboards, and he could he could develop our harmonies and tell us what notes to do and not do. So he helped out quite a bit, even though the record we thought came out lightweight. It still uh, it, it still worked because the songs were good. Well, yeah. sir. And then you guys come up with your your number one hit, Talking Your Sleep, One in a Million, which is really that is uh, those are the two that are most requested here, especially One in a Million. Well, so. Yeah, we did uh, the first record, and um, we went out. We played a few tours. We, I forget what the first tour we was with out on. We, we were doing some shows with Ted Nugent. We were doing yeah. shows with uh, uh, every, anybody. We were doing playing. We were playing El Paso, Texas, in the middle of the summer at a festival outdoors with Ted Nugent. I mean, and that's what it was like. We we're the little skinny, no hair, skinny, <laughs> red leather suits, and we're coming on before. Ted Nugent. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sweaty Teddy back then, he was just in a loincloth. So how appropriate was that? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, it was back when he just played guitar. He, yeah. didn't, he didn't do other things. That, yeah, and then he came out with all the other stuff, and now he's all over the place running for governor. So He still played a great guitar player. He's, yeah. Hey, I had him on several months ago, and he was a riot. He was just a riot. So. He's a great interviewer. He's really good on the radio. He's All right, Mike, so let's make sure that we promote the show tomorrow night at the First Merit Bank Pavilion. That is a great place to see uh, the bands. We've got uh, the Romantics, Loverboy, and Rick Springfield. It's probably going to be a sold-out show. It's got a couple of tickets left. Dude, you are always welcome on this show. Springfield, we've done shows with them in the past uh, five years. We've done, we've done shows with them. We were in uh, St. Thomas. I think we did a show down the islands. We played around the U.S. with them. And he was kind of just playing covers and, and a few songs. And then uh, we, he had different bands. He had like almost like bands he'd pick up, just pick up, and uh, they'd, they'd come out and he'd do some songs. And it wasn't that organized. It didn't seem that organized. But, man, he comes out in this one. This one is like. He's playing, you know, 10 songs. I'm going, wow, I, I've heard that song before. Yeah. You know, six or eight cover, uh, originals. His show is really good. Yeah, and that's what happens when you're in a successful like, movie too, right? Yeah, but he's got it together. Man. Yeah. He, he, he always did. And he just, yeah, he went went back and reorganized and put together a good group and uh, put together, together a good show, and it's really good. It's a good show, whether you like him for one reason or not, but he, it's really a really good show. And the lover boy's good. They rock it, and, and, and you guys bring it. Yeah. So it's it's three good bands to see. Yeah, yeah. Mike, it's always a pleasure. Let's play some of your uh, hits if you hang on with me, guys. Tomorrow night, check it out. First Merit Bank Pavilion. You've got Rick Springfield. You've got Lover Boy. You've got the Romantics. Mike, always a pleasure, man. Yeah, man. We always used to do shows, and we tried to do bands that were just like us. Yep. But we stand out even more. It's different. You know, we're different than every band. Each of us is different our yeah. own way. So, yeah, thanks for having me, Steve. Hey, anytime, Mike. Here is some romantics. You guys are listening to The Blend.
That's when I 